Our military sets such a perfect example of what it means to have a sense of calling, a sense of duty that demands that you serve and you serve for a cause that you're willing to give everything for and on Memorial Day that we're reminded of, a cause that you're willing to go to the furthest extreme to accomplish. And that is the protection of your country. That place in which you have citizenship, that place in which you have pledged your allegiance to its flag, that place in which you have sung along with the Star Spangled Banner and acknowledged that those who went before us in generations fought for and kept our freedom our responsibility in this generation to keep our freedom and our responsibility to hand to future generations that same freedom. It is one of many numerous examples that remind us, particularly as a Christian church, of the importance of duty, the importance of calling, the importance of understanding I am on a pathway, I am on a journey, I am on a trek, and my actions make a difference. In Ephesians, in chapter 3, Paul describes his decision-making. He describes his sense of duty. He describes his calling to follow Christ wherever he takes him and to make sure that generations who haven't heard of Christ have the opportunity to know Christ, to meet Jesus, and to have their life transformed and his willingness to go to the gravest and most extreme to make sure that that message, that hope that comes from knowing Jesus is shared with the current generation and generations to come. Because the Apostle Paul had met Jesus in a dramatic fashion. He understood who Jesus was. Jesus spoke to him, and the Apostle Paul responded and said, yes, yes, I'm gonna trust you. I'll find my forgiveness in you. I'll believe in you. I'm going to follow you and do whatever you want me to do. And in Paul's case, specifically and uniquely, his calling was to take the gospel, to take the hope that would be found in the Messiah and that was fulfilled in Jesus' life, Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish unbelievers of his world and his time. And now, as he pins this section of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3, we pick it up in verse 1, as he's pinning this, he is under house arrest in Rome because the Jews have filed accusations against him, against their religion, against the Jewish state, and those accusations say that he is disrupting and he is teaching contrary thought because they had missed the calling of God. But regardless of the extreme to which the Apostle Paul must respond and act, he is willing to do it. And he shares that story. He shares why he's in prison. He shares why he is under this set of circumstances, hoping that he would in no way embarrass them or put them to shame in any way or not, in any form or fashion, but that they would grasp God had called him and he had a duty to respond. It'll get complex at times and a little bit difficult, but if you look at the first six verses of Ephesians chapter three, he describes this calling. For this reason, and he's just told us in chapter two, what is our chapter two? For this reason, referring back to the fact that God has now removed all the barriers. Jew and Gentile are one. Everyone, as Paul would, as Paul would write it to the Galatian church, in Christ 
all are found equally. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. There's neither Greek nor Jew. There's neither, there's no separation in Christ. We are known by our identity as a Christian. And so now he follows up on what he's written about that dividing wall being destroyed in Jesus' death and resurrection. And now it is that purpose, that reason that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. Assuming you have heard about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is the mystery of the unity that comes when people believe in Jesus. You know this mystery. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul had received a calling, as each and every one of us do. We reference that ability to serve on behalf of Christ and who he is as a direct call from God. It's not as simple as making the decision to be a part of something at your kid's school. It's not as simple to make a decision to serve on a committee or to serve on your homeowner's association. It's not that simple. We believe that we serve as a result of the life change that Jesus has made in us. And so we listen to him. We ask God to demonstrate and say, where should I put my life? At first, that sense of calling could be very vague. For me, I'm going to reference that a couple of times this morning. Some of you have heard it before. For me, it was extremely vague. I had become a Christian on Saturday night. On Sunday night, I had gone with the, the student group, the college group at the church I had gone to that morning, and I walked forward that morning, and I told the pastor, I want to get baptized, made arrangements to do that the following week, went out with the college and the students that, that Sunday night, drove somebody back to the dorms, and after I dropped them off at the dorms, I had seen my other Christian friends who had witnessed to me and helped me understand who Jesus was pray when they would drop people off like that. And so I sat there having only prayed once before ever in my whole life when I actually prayed a prayer that was written out for me saying, yes, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Live within me. Change me and let me see eternity. Let me live with you forever in heaven. That is the first prayer. The second prayer was that night and, it, and I was struggling. I didn't know how to pray. I don't know how much time elapsed. I still to this day don't know, but enough time had elapsed that the person I dropped off had gone upstairs, gotten ready for bed, and was laying in bed reading their Bible when they felt God say to them, James is still downstairs and he's still trying to know how to pray. You need to go downstairs and pray with him. They walked to the window of their dorm, third floor, looked down in the parking lot. My car was still there. You could not miss it. I was, man, I drove a, I drove a spectacle. Most of you won't even know this, but it was, it was a yellow Ford Pinto. The station wagon version. I, I wonder this day what I was thinking that day when my dad and I were on the parking lot and I had saved up some money and, and he was going to assist with some of it. And, and I looked at that yellow station wagon and thought, this is the car every college sophomore needs to drive. Desperation creates, you know. Anyway, we don't worry about that. They could see it. Came back downstairs, knocked on the window. I looked up from trying to pray, and they opened the door and said, 
Are you trying to pray? Can I pray with you? So the second real prayer I ever prayed was after they went back upstairs and I drove out of the parking lot and said, okay, Jesus, you clearly are real. Whatever you want to do with my life, I'm willing to do. I didn't, honestly, I didn't know what I was praying. I had no clue what the ramifications of that prayer would be. I had, had no idea at that point in time. I just knew that I had realized that God had heard my prayer the night before, and if he had heard my prayer, and he, if he cared enough to send somebody downstairs to pray with me because I didn't know how to pray, this was a God I was willing to give my whole life to. And that's all I knew or understood. It was the beginning of a call. God was beginning to form and shape in me that desire to serve him, to serve his kingdom. It would manifest itself over time just as the apostle Paul describes, you receive the call and then there is the entrusted nature of the call. In verse seven he says, I was made a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This isn't about us, it's never about us. Our service isn't about us. Our mission team's not on the field this morning here, nighttime for them, it's about time for them to go to bed and get ready for tomorrow. They're on the field because of God's grace and the work and the change that God's grace gives, not because they're special people, they are. A number of their spouses and children are in the room with us. They're possibly watching on live stream. You have the ability to do that. Isn't that amazing? That we can be in church here in Tomball, Texas, and they can be in Nairobi watching this live stream. So I need to be careful what I say. They are people of God's grace. Paul didn't say, hey, I was fit for this. I studied for this. I accomplished this. He said, I was made a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power, which means every believer, every one of us that has a relationship with Jesus can and will be, I believe, called by God. We have to receive it, and then we have to understand that it's entrusted with us. We have to make that decision. Okay, I'm going to go somewhere with us. I'm going to do something with this. He says in verse eight, this grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, He's saying the least of all believers at that point. In other places, he'll talk about he's the least of the apostles. His humility compelled him to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden from the ages who, from God, by God who created all things. Paul realized he had been entrusted with a call. It doesn't matter what your calling is. Maybe your calling is to be on tech team and to make sure our family in Nairobi can listen to the service today or listen to it in the morning when they wake up. It may be to serve as a greeter to make sure people walk into this building having a warm, meaningful, and hopefully less confusing experience because you're there to help. It could be to teach scripture like I teach scripture and do it in our small groups or do it in other venues. The calling can be any number of things. But it is God entrusting you with a duty he gives us, whatever that duty is. For Paul, it was to help the Gentiles understand that the gospel, the message of hope, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus was for them. That Jesus wasn't exclusively for Jews and Jesus wasn't exclusively for the rituals of Judaism. Jesus was about new life in him. And Paul's responsibility out of a background of that legalism was to now share that freedom 
with Gentiles who normally would have been overlooked and probably struggled to understand that God cared about them just as much as he cared about anyone else. It's, it's, a, it's a call, it's a duty that's entrusted. I didn't understand that prayer on that Sunday night. I went back home to work on some things with my parents. Our relationship wasn't the best at that time. I wanted to reconcile and deal with that. God rapidly commit, convicted me to deal with all my broken relationships, and it was a long list, and I was gonna spend that summer working on it. My parents at the top of that list. While I was there, I found some good friends, started attending a church there because I was going to school in one city and I was raised in another city. I'm back home now, found a church, got involved in that church, did all the summer activities. Their students went to camp, I went to camp. There was a college choir, I sang in college choir, softly. I did whatever it took. They took me in, they loved me, they gave me a Bible that I could actually understand and read and began to work through that process. It was the week I'm headed back to school and I knew God was doing something and I knew God wanted me to do something. I knew I had been entrusted with something, I just couldn't quite put my finger on it. And so one of the mothers of the college kids that had become friends invited me over to the house and we sat down for a cup of coffee. We started talking and she said, God's given me a word. I had no idea what that meant. You may not know what that means. It just means that the Holy Spirit's impressed something on your heart that you're gonna verbally speak. She says, that word is, he's told me he has called you to be an evangelist. I also didn't know what an evangelist was. I'm like, oh, okay. What exactly is that? And she began explaining it to me and telling me about it. And it finally, like a light bulb clicked and I went, are you talking about like the guys in the Bible? Because I'd spent all summer reading through my Bible and reading through sections of it multiple times. Are you talking about those guys? The guys to get up and preach and the guys to get up and call people to God? Is that what you mean? She said, yes, it's the same. I don't know why. I've been a Christian now about four months. I don't know why it hadn't clicked that the pastors and teachers and, and college leaders um, we're the same as Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Paul and Peter. It just, I didn't, I didn't make the jump. I didn't make that 2,000 year leap into my current life. But she helped me realize each of us as a believer, each of us in Christ are called and we are entrusted with that calling and we need to respond to that calling. And that God directs the calling. In verse 10, Paul says, this is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. We're gonna get into this deeper when we hit chapter five and chapter six about dealing with the spiritual realms, the demons and the authorities in those spiritual realms and the, the constant conflict, literally the constant war. And the reason we've been called to whatever degree is because we are participating in that war. We are now a part of the host of heaven, those angels that are true and loyal to God. And we do everything we can to dispel darkness and bring light an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This, he says in verse 11, is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God guides us in the calling. I, I had no clue the first night I prayed and said, whatever you want me to do. I didn't have much more clue, but I at least had a direction to go. I at least knew I wanted to participate and be a part of those who spoke and those who taught and those who shared the hope that they had in Christ. 
Multiple pastors and friends would come alongside and help me in that process and help me understand, but God would give me a gift that I couldn't even ever have imagined. He would give me a godly wife who throughout the years, not just in those initial phases, has guided and directed and helped with every single decision. When we face the decision to come and be pastor of this church, hours on end were spent with her talking, helping, guiding me in that decision-making process. Sometimes it was the encouragement that was needed. Sometimes it was the flat-out reminder, and she would do that. She does this to this day. Flat-out reminder, James, you have been called to tell people and help people meet Jesus. And every time I start to lose focus and I think I'm something else or someone else, she helps me recalibrate and get back on track. The calling of God starts in a moment, but it continues over a lifetime. I don't know the next step, but I know in this step, God has called me to be a pastor. The very first church that I ever pastored, I planted a church my senior year of college. It was pretty rough, but it went well. Lots of people became Christians and became believers, and she encouraged me, and she stood along me all along the way and helped me. The calling of God is a directed calling. God will use people in our lives to help us understand the specifics and help us understand what it is today and what it can be tomorrow because this is his eternal purpose. So we listen to the voices in our life. And then our calling, and I think more than anything else in this generation, needs to be emboldened. He says in verse 12, in him... We have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then, I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are for your glory. Paul's situation was about as bad as it could get. He was in prison for sharing the gospel with Gentiles. Ephesians, the Ephesus church, is a Gentile church that he helped plant. They knew he was in trouble. They had had visions and dreams and insight from the Holy Spirit that knew that what was going to happen to him when he returned to Jerusalem wasn't going to be good. They begged him not to go. And Paul said, no, I've got to go. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul says, look, I'm, I'm in a rough spot but you don't need to be embarrassed by that or ashamed of that. You need to know that God is working through even the rough spot. He is in prison. He is under Roman guard, but we know from the book of Acts he continued to share his faith and we know that even guards became followers of Christ. The last thing you want to do if you don't believe in God is get handcuffed to the apostle Paul. It's a pretty safe assurance you're going to figure out who Jesus is. Our circumstances don't define us. Our calling defines us. When you make the decision to serve, I don't know where that's going to end up. For me, it hasn't ended up anything like what I imagined because I've imagined mostly secular and mostly cardinal thoughts. But what I've learned 
And what Carrie has helped me in that direction understand that a humility that shares the hope in Christ is all we really need. We try so hard to measure Christianity by worldly standards. Which means we want to measure it by size. We want to measure it by activity. We want to measure it by net worth. We want to, we want to measure Christianity by the same standards we would measure anybody else. What we secretly hope, at least pastors do, is that there's some kind of version of spiritual Fortune 500 and your church gets named and qualifies. And all along, my calling, your calling, is measured by the sacrifice Jesus made. He gave everything so that we might have life. He gave everything so that we might have a calling. There might be a sense of duty. It's measured by what we're willing to give up more than it's measured by anything we accomplish. I believe God actively calls every part of the church, every believer, that's not all to the same thing, and I'm thankful for that, and we'll don't have time this morning, but we'll look at that sometimes in 1 Corinthians, how the church requires every piece, every mechanism, every sinew, every ligament, everything has to be at work to make the church who God wants her to be. I got my piece, you got your piece, but I believe God is wanting every single one of us to do something with our faith. And I believe he has called us and we receive that. I believe he has entrusted that calling to us. No one else can do it for us. It's our responsibility. And I believe he will direct us. If it's not real clear today, right now, in this moment, it'll become clear. He'll direct us and guide us. Because it's his. And it's by his grace. And if today's just one of those days where boldness and confidence doesn't feel like or seem like the best response. Just trust him. Release it again. That first prayer, probably the simplest and yet most profound prayer I've ever prayed. And I now, years later, continue to pray. God, whatever you want me to do, it's no longer my life, it's yours. I understand that a lot better these days, but I still have to pray it over and over again. God, whatever you want to do with my life, I'm willing. I'm here. Father, help us. It can be frightening to make that decision. It can be uncertain. and We might not even know exactly what the next step's gonna be. But all I think you're asking us to do this morning is to trust you. You'll bring everything else into play. Give us boldness to serve you with all our hearts. Give us boldness and confidence in you to know that whatever you're calling us to do, whatever you're asking us to do and how you want us to serve, we don't know the outcome, but we know you'll be there every step of the way. Not everyone who went to war came home. And as a nation, we grieve and mourn that today. And not every believer that goes out comes back. But through Jesus and his forgiveness and his death on the cross, every believer is with you 
in eternity. So we trust you. Do whatever you want to do in our lives. And we'll follow. We'll follow. In Jesus' name.